My name is Ken. I'm an abstaining compulsive overeater. And I've always called myself an overachiever with a fork. That's what I did best. I want to point out, I, I never had a problem eating. My problem was stopping. I didn't know how. I could wait for a meal. But once it started, I just didn't know how to stop. And I would go back and try for more, no matter where I was. Uh, that was my nature, and I thought that's just the way I am. I'm a 300-pound man. I came in here, I was over 300 pounds. These pictures will attest to who I was and what happened. I found program 30, a little over 37 years ago. Uh, a friend, a binge buddy of mine from New York, uh, I met at a business meeting by accident. That was God's will. And uh, he had a normal body, a smile on his face. And in my humor, I said, Hi, Stan, what's wrong? And he said, I found a way to live that will change your life. And my weight went away. And I didn't like that. I said, I don't, I don't want to change my life, but I'd like to get rid of some weight. And, uh, he, gave, he said, go home. Uh, this was in San Francisco. Go home, look up OA in the white pages of uh, your telephone book, and go to a meeting. That's all he said. So I got, went home. I immediately opened the white pages, wrote down the number, put it in my wallet, and forgot it. That's what I used to do. Hurry up and do nothing. So that was in February of 1978. By May, I came across this number. I dialed it. God was working in my life again. Because instead of getting a human, I wouldn't want to talk to a, a woman about going to a place for weight or, or a man I didn't know. I got a recording and said there was a meeting that night. It was in Van Nuys. I lived in Woodland Hills. So I lied to my wife. I told her I was going out to buy clothing. I knew she'd never like to go with me to buy clothing. It was not a happy experience. And so I went to that meeting. And I walked in and I was confused. I did not see any doctors, nurses, scales, weight uh, programs in terms of food. They had a gray sheet. And I looked at it and I said, that's too simple. How can you live off that? But this is what my head used to do. It used to talk to me. And I used to listen. There's nothing wrong with my body when I was 300 pounds. The disease lives up here. I don't think there's anything wrong with anyone's body. This is what I used to listen to. And that's how I used to reflect myself at over 300 pounds. I currently weigh somewhere between 170 and 175. That's a miracle. And uh, I maintain life a day at a time. That's as much time as I want to be able to deal with. I used to spend my days in the past ruining what I couldn't change and worrying about the future, which wasn't here yet. And so I kept blowing days. My hand was always in a bag of something. I carried food in my clothing, in my car. I had it in my office. It didn't matter what it was. I wanted to chew on something. I said, boy, this helps me think. And again, that's my head telling me what to do and me doing it. And I don't listen to my head anymore. This is a condition that is not curable, but it is manageable. I manage it quite well. And I have friends who manage it quite well. I sponsor 14 people, 12 men and two women, and we're all doing very well. And uh, we do it a day at a time. So I found a way to do this program. I walked into the meeting. I heard people talking about things I could identify with, but I would never get up there and say anything. And I found out you have to have a sponsor to lead you into this to learn what it's all about. So 
I went up to a man a week later. I'd have to think about that. I wasn't going to do that the first night. I went up to a man and uh, he was a lot smaller than I was physically, very thin. And I said, you want to show me what this is about? And he said, are you looking for a sponsor? And I said, well, I'm looking for what I'm supposed to do. Too humbling to ask for help. That was me. I was a compulsive know-it-all as well. So we worked out that I would call in my food between 7.30 and 7.45 each day. And he said, Ken, we'll start this way. You could eat anything you want, but you only can visit food three times a day. You could have a beverage anytime you want. So I started calling in my food. The program was a little different than you'd work with a sponsor. Guaranteed, you made a pact for 21 days. The end of 21 days, your sponsor could drop you, you could drop your sponsor. The end of 21 days, I took off 15, 16 pounds by committing my food. My head said, I don't need him. I don't have to drive all the way to Van Nuys to go to a meeting. I'll write down what I'm eating, and I'll be fine. I put back 20 pounds in less than a month. So I went back to the meeting. It annoyed me that I had to go to a place where I learned to take care of myself. But I did. I learned how to take care of myself. And life got a lot better. I didn't come here to change my life. I came here to change my body. Instead, my life changed and my body followed. And that's something you have to learn by doing it. So when I came in here, he said, Ken, you have to buy the big book. It was only about 5 or $6 in those days. I still use the same one. It's a third edition. I give readings to a lot of people, but again, I don't use the fourth edition. I use the third. I still read the big book. I look at pages from now, time and again, especially if I have a particular feeling and I want to define that feeling. They're all, they're all exposed in the big book. I uh, committed my food for a long time and I asked my sponsor, I said, look, I go to a meeting once a week and I tell you what I'm eating. And he said, Ken, that's really not enough. You have to do more than that. You don't get involved with this program. You become the program. And I didn't understand what he said, so he told me the story of the chicken and the pig. He said there was a chicken and a pig on a farm, and the chicken said to the pig, we should do something for the farmer. He takes good care of us. He feeds us. He nurtures us. We have a place to live. And the pig said, what could we do for the farmer? And the chicken said, I'll give him a dozen eggs. You give him some bacon. And the pig said, you only want to get involved, but you're asking me to make a total commitment. And that's what we do here. We make a commitment to take one of the jobs, maybe just welcoming people when they come in the door, taking care of literature, being a secretary, being a chairperson, getting speakers, setting up a room. There's countless ways to give service. Being a sponsor, I was never going to be a sponsor until I found out people asked me how I was changing. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I do. And I, I became a sponsor over a period of uh, a couple of years. It took, and I had to work the steps. My sponsor was adamant about that. He said, Ken, if you want to succeed in this program without working the steps, it's like trying to ride a bike without getting on it. You're not going to do it. So I said, what do I do? He said, you read the first step in the 12 and 12, and you go to a meeting, and you stand up, and you say out loud before the meeting that you are a compulsive overeater. So I went to a meeting, I read the 12 and 12 first step, went to a meeting, my hands were a little sweaty, my mouth was dry, and I raised my hand and I said, I'm, I'm uh, Ken, I'm a compulsive overeater, I only eat on special occasions, when I'm angry, when I'm sad, 
when I'm depressed, when I'm anxious about something, and one other time, when I'm awake. It was all true. It was all true. Food was my best friend. I had to move on to the second step. He asked me to read it. And again, we sat down and uh, I admitted if there was help in this program, I could come to believe that there is a power that I don't have right now at the time. And we went over my red light, green light, and orange foods. The green light foods that I could eat any day. The orange light that I might want to visit, but they don't call me. And the red light foods I don't touch. I have an abstinence that's black and white in only three areas. I don't eat red meat. I don't eat bread. I don't eat refined sugar. Those three things are exceptionally loud. The red meat has been lifted. I have no interest in it. The bread has been lifted. I used to lust for just chewing on bread. didn't have to be anything on it. That's been lifted. The sugar has not been lifted. So I have to work at it. Because it's in everything. It's inevitable that you're going to have sugar in your body. But I don't choose it. I don't eat out of a bag. And I don't eat refined sugar. I went on from there. When I read the third step, he said, Ken, we'll talk about it after you read it. And I was happy reading it because I said, this is where I'm getting out. I don't understand this God thing. I don't even want it. I grew up in a home with a religion. That, that was enough. So he said, just read it and then we'll talk. So I read it and I, we got together with him. And I said, okay, Neil, tell me how I'm supposed to find God. And what he said blew me away. He said, Ken, don't concentrate on finding God. Your job is to look for God. And you look for God when you go to a meeting. You look for God when you open up the big book and read a page. And if you don't know what page to read, you pick up the phone and ask someone else. And then they suggest it. You look for God when something's running around your head like a dog chasing its tail and you can't get rid of it. You pick the phone up and you say it out loud to someone else. You look for God when the phone rings and someone else wants to talk. And all you have to do is listen. We look for God by taking action. I learned to take action in this program. It keeps me well. And the longer I stayed in the program, the more I felt I was doing the right thing. I worked through steps four through nine. Those are the work steps of the program. They're not easy. They're very simple. You just do it. Just do it. If you don't know how to do a writing, you talk to your sponsor about it. But it'll all come out and you'll move forward. I did those things and I live in 10, 11, and 12 because my head still plays games. I'm not cured. Something will get stuck in my head and I'll have to talk about it to someone and say, let me tell you what's running around in my head like a rat in a maze. And I talk about it. Then I ask them how their day is going. Then they thank me for calling and the call's over and I feel better. Sometimes I write about it. A 10th step is also has a, a written format. It's in the big book on page 86. If you read those questions before you go to sleep at night, you're taking a 10th step when you answer them. Uh, I have a written format. The people I sponsor get that sheet of paper and they can answer them. They're yes, no questions. A little space for a description if you care to write about it. And uh, they learn to take a 10th step. I learned how to pray and meditate. I didn't understand by the word. Meditating is sitting still and listening. And something does bubble up from inside me. I never listened to myself. I just ran in all directions. In praying, children know how to pray. They ask for things. That's what I do. I ask. And that's a prayer. Hopefully, I will get things. 
I have a higher power I didn't have before. And I went to a meeting similar to this about a year ago where they ask questions. It's the light a candle meeting. And someone asked me a very revealing question that really struck me. He said, how did you come across a higher power? And I was never asked that before. And I had to think about it for a moment. And I remember in working through the steps of the program, I still had contact with family, with people I worked with, with uh, neighbors, with everyone else. And I ran across a problem with a person. And instead of my mouth opening up and lashing out, some words jumped into my head. The words were, God help me with this person. I never had that thought before. And that slowed me down. It kept my tongue in my mouth. And I walked away from the situation. I still use that phrase, God help me with. Sometimes I say, with the traffic. Because it could drive me nuts. God help me with this menu when I walk into a restaurant. I don't commit my food on a daily basis anymore. But if my wife and I are going out for dinner, I'll pick the phone up during the day. And I'll say, uh, I'm going out for dinner. I'm going to have super salad fish or seafood and no dessert. That's my commitment for dinner. I don't eat desserts in a restaurant. They're endless. I can't pick one. I do have desserts at home. I could have applesauce. I could have a piece of fruit. I could have sugarless jello, but not out. And when I know I'm having seafood or fish, that limits my menu choice to a little paragraph this big and I could choose something. I don't have to look at six pages of food and wonder why I can't have one from each page. So this is my head toying with me. It still does that. And I have my head on a leash, just like a pet. And sometimes I have to pull it in. So I've worked through the knowledge of having a higher power by asking internally for help. I don't know where the help comes from sometimes. Uh, my first concept of a higher power was that there definitely are things that occur that no man or woman can do. It gets light out during the day, dark at night, flowers open, the ocean stops at the shore, and nobody controls that except for a higher power. You can call it nature. But whatever it is, there's also a power that controls my actions if I choose to ask for help. If I don't ask, I won't get And sometimes I still have to bite my tongue when I'm in conversation with someone and they're saying things that are annoying me and I have to say, you know what, I'll get into it later and walk away. And sometimes even with my wife, we have a wonderful relationship. We've been together 55 years, but we'll disagree on something. And I'll say, you know what, let me think about it. I'll get back to you on it. Because I know my tone of voice will differ when I start to get involved. My words will change words I don't want to use. So I slow down and put it off. And I'll go back a half hour later and say, you know what, I thought about this thing, whatever it was. Maybe we could do this or that. And we come to some sort of agreement and I'm better off than I was. What does all this have to do with losing weight? Everything. I had to change my way of living. I went to doctors for over 20 years. I took amphetamines. I even went into the hospital, in Sino Hospital, with a hepatic liver. And when my doctor said, are you taking any medication? I lied. I said, no. Amphetamines 
just stop me from eating food. I didn't call that medication. And I stopped while I was in the hospital. And when I got out, I had a really deep fear because I had reactions of no energy. I couldn't even work. And I got better. And I went back to taking pills. Crazy. It's a craziness. I took the female hormone shots. I went to a hypnotherapist out here. And they all worked for 10 minutes. I mean, if you really want to diet, go down to the newsstand. Every magazine has one. And if one of them worked, they wouldn't have to print all the others. So diets, to me, don't work. Living a day at a time works. I know I'm having lunch today. I already had breakfast. I had juice and coffee. If I start with a heavier breakfast, and some people do, they'll eat eggs or cereal or whatever. On Sunday, I treat myself to a bowl of oatmeal, but I have juice and coffee. And if I have more of a meal for breakfast, I am very hungry by 11 o'clock. So instead, I have my juice and coffee, I look forward to lunch. My lunch is finished, I look forward to dinner. And my dinner is my main meal of the day, but still, no bread. No refined sugar and no red meat. So this is how I've learned to live. And uh, it works. And I'm amazed. I go out and buy clothing in stores I never would visit before, buy it off the rack, and it fits. I can't believe it. I used to have a closet larger than my wife's. And now I don't. I'm happy with it. I could rotate clothing from last winter to this winter or last summer to this summer because it still fits. But I still have to do and take the action of reading the big book, staying in contact with you, and at times during the day, if I have nothing to do, I'll pick the phone up and call someone and say, this is Ken, how's your day going? And I'll get into how their day is going and I'll tell them how my day is going. And they thank me for calling them. It's amazing. This is a fellowship, and we do it together. When I went to a doctor's office, I was alone and did it myself, and it didn't work. So, this is who I am. This is how I live. I go to meetings. I go to various meetings all over. They're all good. I used to travel in business. I went to meetings in every city in the western states for many years. I was in Eugene once overnight, and I called the number to get a meeting, and it was a Monday or Tuesday, and they said, oh, our meeting's on Thursday. I said, oh my God, how can you live like that? It's on Thursday. That's the way it was in Eugene 25 years ago. Los Angeles is a gift. We can go out of this meeting and go to another one this afternoon and another one tonight if we need to. So we go when we need it. We go when we want it. We go when we don't want to live the way we used to live. And the weight goes away. It becomes the number one priority going in the front door and the last priority when we're involved in this program. So I'd like to leave you with an uh, adage. I collect adages. These are words that are said by people that may know nothing about our program, but they've said things that uh, have a meaning. And I always thought, can I do this program or can I not do it? And then I read some words that were said by Henry Ford back in the 1940s. 
And he said to a group of people, whether you think you can do something or whether you think you can't do something, you're right. And I think that's pretty wise. Because if I tell myself I can't do something, I won't be able to do it. So I thank you for being here this morning. I hope to see you all again. You're my best friends. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of OA as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast, which I believe is being recorded. And we will stop at 9.35. Who would like to ask anything? I will do my best. I traveled a lot in business myself and I do things or did things uh, that kept me focused. First of all, I had to check in locally with the program just to know that there. And if I wasn't able to get to a meeting because of my business, I'd at least talk to someone in the program. I also bought postcards. I carry with me to this day a book that has at least 30 to 40 names and addresses of people. And I write a postcard out to a person. Letting know I'm thinking of them. I'm taking care of myself. I have dinner coming tonight, and then I'm going to turn in. I'm going to talk to my wife, and uh, I'll write whatever I'm saying. I drop it in the mail. I forget it. I get thanks weeks later from people that said thank you for the card. But it's taking an action. You have to learn just pack your program like you pack everything else you take on a trip, and use it, and definitely take the book. Because that's a meditative place to be. Thank you, Jim. How do you use your higher power in times of adversity? In times of what? Adversity. That's a very good question. I learned that we're supposed to go through everything. Just before coming in here today, uh, I came down with a person and pointed out how children spend their opening years playing. They don't know about any adversity. Their parents take care of it. I have to learn like everyone else. When something happens that I don't like, that's God's will. It's God's will. How I react to it is my choice. I can react negatively. I can react by ignoring it. I can react with some nasty words. Or I could just swallow it all and say, you know what? This is your sense of humor, God, and I don't like it. I don't have to like everything, but I have to accept it. And I always have the power of making a choice. I can go left or right, say yes or no, or I could talk to someone else and say, let me tell you what just happened. I lost someone I didn't expect to lose. It's terrible that they were taken away at their age, in this time of life, and whatever else. But I accept it because it makes me move forward. So acceptance is the answer. To all of our problems. Yes? Can you um, spend a few moments defining your time, sugar? You talked about it. Like, what are 
Well, refined sugar simply is candy, obviously. It is also used in many recipes, but it is used as a side ingredient, and there's no way to get away from it. I do drink dietetic beverages. I do drink non-sugar, uh, eat, uh, what do you call it, yogurt or jello or applesauce. But there are foods that will have a substance of sugar, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I accept it. It's just a natural, natural sugar I don't have to worry about. There are vegetables with natural sugars in them. That's not a problem. Refined sugar is white sugar. It's man-made. And it's harmful to me. I say it's harmful to a lot of people, but you have to make your own mind up. So, refined sugar to me is something that comes in a bag. Or I go into someone's home, as I did over the holidays, and they have bowls of stuff, and it's very pretty. I call them works of art. All kinds of M&Ms, like a bakery. I go past the bakery. That's a work of art. And I remember what I used to do. I used to take a handful, go stand in the corner away from people, and eat one at a time, and then figure out how to get back to the bowl to get another handful. And today, I've learned to say to myself, Ken, you just don't need the first one. If you don't have the first one, there are no more. And I get into conversation with someone else. I don't stay alone with my head. So refined sugar is something that's a choice. I don't buy it. I don't eat it. But when it's put into, I don't know, crackers that I'm using with a salad, it's a minimal thing I can't help. And I'm not perfect. Um, a very simple one is opening my mouth. I used to open it very often and say the wrong thing. And then I used to hate to make an amends. I didn't think I'd ever have to. I'd just get rid of the person. Matter of fact, I'm the kind of person that used to go into rooms and look for someone and, tr- and try to find out what I maybe wouldn't like about that person so I didn't have to know them. This is a weird way of thinking. But my character defects usually came from my self-expression. Of course, uh, you could say reaching for the wrong food is a defect also, but that's not a character defect. That's a physical defect of my right arm. But a character defect comes from my head telling me to rebel about something I just heard and then myself saying, Ken, take it easy. You don't want to pay that price. And I don't. I've made amends. I don't want to make amends. I don't like to make amends. And if I don't screw up, I don't have to make future amends. But am I perfect? No. There are times I get into a conversation and say, you know, I, I can't go on with this. Because we just don't agree. And I try to use a smile. And that breaks my feeling. So my character defects are what bubble up from inside. The old me. And the new me says, Ken, don't get involved. You'll pay a price you don't want to pay. I don't want to take an argument home with me and figure out what to do. It's too late to do anything then. It's been done. So I keep my mouth shut or I just say, you know what? That works for you. It doesn't work for me. Thank you. And I move on. 
Get someone else in front of my face. Thank you so much. Um, do you sponsor people? And if you do, how do you work a sponsor relationship? Uh, I sponsor 14 people, 12 men, 2 women. It's been going on for years. Uh, they've come upon me somehow. We have a, a life where I talk to all of them, uh, about 11 of them, every single day. And that's like having a meeting. And when they start, they're going to commit their food. And they're going to ask for what to do, and that keeps me active. I assign pages. That's good for me. When I give someone a page to read, that means I have to read that page. I go back and read, because they may ask me a question about it, and I won't know what I'm talking about. So when I give a page to someone, I have to read it. Uh, They ask me what to do when they go somewhere, and we'll talk about what their choices are. I don't give orders to any one of them. Some woman from a podcast found me in Munich, Germany. She wanted me to be her sponsor. She called me for two months earlier this year, last year. And I finally said, I said, you need to go to a local meeting and find someone face to face that you can have a relationship with. You could talk to me anytime. She then asked for other numbers. I gave her numbers of about six, seven people here in Los Angeles. She calls them. And she got a sponsor, and she's doing well. But the long-term people that have been with me uh, were like old friends. When something's not going well, we talk to each other about it. If someone needs guidance, I can only make a suggestion. I never give an order. The most I'll say to someone if I hear something I don't agree with is, can you live with that? (laughs) Can you do that and live with it? And it lets them think about what the reaction might be. So we have an ongoing relationship and I'm very grateful. Thank you. Yes, Don. What's your concept of a higher power today and has it evolved over your years in program? A higher power is something that helps me make a decision I never had before. I used to make split decisions. I heard something I didn't like, I'd react immediately like that. My higher power slows me down says, wait a minute, Ken, you don't have to answer this minute. You don't have to take the action this minute. And if I really have to, I can say, you know what, I can't get involved right now. My higher power keeps me on a path of sanity. My head used to keep me on a path of insanity. I used to solve everything instantly. Now I can't, and I'm better for it. So my relationship with a higher power is that I listen to myself more. I listen for answers. And if I don't get them immediately, I put off making the decision. There's nothing else I could do. But it's a nebulous power. It's not something I can describe. It's something that has slowed me down to help me make decisions to live better. Yes. My consistency comes, I believe, from living a day at a time. I can't plan next week. I could plan a trip. I could plan a business meeting. But I can't plan how I'm going to be next week. So I concentrate on getting through today. 
Today is the most important day in all our lives because it's the only real one. It's the only one we could do something about. Can't do anything about yesterday and can't do anything about tomorrow yet except plan. So I try to look forward to the day and I was asked this morning, what are you doing the rest of the day? I said, well, after the meeting, I go home. On Saturday, my wife and I go to lunch. <clears throat> We're meeting another couple today, someone that my wife went to grammar school with. And uh, after lunch, we do our food shopping for the week. Then we come home. I'm going to take a couple phone calls and I'll have the evening. I space out my day. That doesn't mean I can't make changes. But I just don't go wild, like walking into an amusement park and wanting to get on every ride in the next five minutes. So I make plans for the day, and I live in the day. That helps me. Yes, sir. Thanks for sharing. Do you ever get complacent or weary of meetings or programs that ever happened to you over the years? Yes, I've gone to meetings I, I didn't even like. I go to meetings sometimes, and I hear a lot of Pitching and moaning. I know it doesn't work. I want to hear what works. I want to know what works in your life. That's going to help me. So, yeah, I've gone to meetings where, for some reason, they just don't get it. I don't know. And I migrate away to meetings that work. I like to say my home meeting is 7.30 in the morning on Saturdays in Burbank. It's a dynamite meeting. It's like this, except they do have sharing. It's... Uh, one hour meeting, it goes by in about 10 minutes. It's a lot of energy, a great mixture of ages and sex. And so it's a good cross-section of people that have one thing in common. We're all compulsive readers. And apart from that, I go to other meetings. I want to hear what other people have to say. But I've definitely been in places that I don't enjoy. And that also is God's sense of humor. Yes. So we do our shopping once a week on Saturday, and I'm the one who moves the basket. I used to be the one that also put things in the basket. I don't do that anymore. I move the basket. I hold on. And there's a lot of attractive things. <laughs> It's like going to a Las Vegas show and seeing dancing girls. <laughs> and the stuff on the shelf looks so good. I'd like to have it at home to look at. This is my first thought. Of course, I'm not going to only look at it. I'm going to taste it. So I hold on to the basket. My wife does the input and we leave. And that's it. I can go to a store during the week for a bottle of milk or a whatever might be missing. That doesn't bother me. But rotating up and down aisle after aisle, I hold on to the basket. So, all right, last question. So is your wife a normal eater? My wife has been normal her whole life. So, she is, so does she bring other, is there food, other food that she eats that you don't eat? My wife is a chocolate-holic. There's chocolate in the home all the time. Thank God it never called me. I'm a bulk eater. I like crackers. I like, I'll tell you about rye bread. My love affair with rye bread. <laughs> Men like to look at centerfolds in a magazine. You know, they look down, they see a centerfold, they get a happy feeling, they smile, they, they get an itch all over. 
my favorite centerfold would be a loaf of rye bread. <laughs> so, my wife has stuff in the home that has her name on it. She has ice cream in the freezer. I don't even open it up. And it's frozen. I don't touch it. If I don't touch it, I'm okay. If I have a teaspoon of it, I'm in trouble. So there are things that I don't touch. They're white hot. I don't want to burn myself. And if something is loud enough, there's one, week, one day during the week my wife goes out and plays a game with the other women and I'm home alone. I'll pick up the phone and say, you know what? I hear that loud noise from the kitchen. It's a hum of the refrigerator. And we talk about it for a minute and I have to make light of it and then it goes away. But if I keep it inside, it doesn't go away. So I deal with things by not touching them. It's not mine. So I think we've reached nine, almost nine thirty. It's now time for the secretary's announcements. Thank you.